Some years ago, four pitchers carried a series of a magazine to tell a, a story to graphically depict what would be a tragic story. Uh, there's a picture we're going to show, but if it helped you just to visualize this scene on this magazine, you could even close your eyes and imagine with me. The first picture was a vast wheat field in western Kansas. The second picture showed a distressed mother sitting in a farmhouse located in the center of the wheat field. And then the accompanying story explained that her four-year-old son had wandered away from the house and into the wheat field while she wasn't seeing or looking or watching. And then the mother and the father looked and looked all day long for that little boy, but he was just so small, you couldn't see him over the wheat. The third picture showed dozens of friends and neighbors who had heard about the little boy's situation, and the next morning, they walked through the wheat field hand in hand to cover every square inch, every square foot, making a human chain as they walked and searched for the boy. As I told you, this was a tragic story. The final picture was the picture of the heartbroken father holding his son who had been exposed to the elements of that cold night. And it's not how I want to start off a message on Send Sunday. I figured it'd be better to start it off this way than end it this way. But I tell you because of the caption underneath that last picture. It said this, Oh God, if only we had joined hands sooner. The father was saying, if we wouldn't have wait till the next day, if we would have called to our friends and our neighbors or anyone who would respond to the call as soon as he was lost, as soon as he was understood to be somewhere where we don't know where he is, that's when we should have joined hands so he may have been found. Our world is full of lost souls and they can't see above the distractions and they can't see above the barriers of sin and the world. They can't find their way back to the Father's house until I believe we join hands on a mission to find them. I really really mean this. (laughs) I really believe this. Our world is full of lost souls, lost men, lost women, young men, young women, and they're way out in the field of the world and they can't find the way home to the Father's house. They can't see above the wheat of the world and they are perishing in the night of sin and when the cold morning comes, it will be too late. And this is 
is such a serious subject and such a weighty matter. I believe God asked me to step away from Revive this morning, which is my heart, which is my mission that he placed in my responsibility. And, and I am listening to the call. I'm responding to the call to being a Columbus, Ohio, to help encourage you to join hands and respond and sweep through this neighborhood, sweep through the city, sweep through our, our nation, and sweep ultimately to the ends of the earth so every lost son and daughter will find their way home. That's what we're called to do. But I'm concerned about some Christians, not you all, I'm sure you guys are fine, but some Christians, I, I, I'm concerned because we get to the place to where we're so lo- in love with each other, and that's wonderful. And we're so thrilled about everything that goes in, goes on within the four walls of our church, and that's wonderful. And we can be so happy about it, and we can sit in little groups, and we can disciple each other, and pray for each other, and counsel each other, and talk to each other, and all of that is so important. But the fact is, for some Christians, They are in danger of never crawling out of their ivory tower, never feeling the sun, always being within the shade of the steeple, never willing to be uncomfortable or sacrifice for the accomplishment of the greatest mission and commission, the one that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28. And this morning, I think I know part of the problem. I've been saved now. I can't believe it. I'm 39 years old. I've been saved now for almost 33 years. I've been in the church since I was three years old. And I think I understand part of the problem. I think as we come to this Sunday, the Send Conference, and we think about what God is doing for the mission, I think some Christians think faith promise missions, evangelism is for the professional Christians. They think it's for the elite, you know, like the the special forces of God's army. But I don't know if we see that this morning in our scripture. You know, I know we look at people like Peter and James and John and Paul, but in And our story this morning, in the narrative of Scripture that Dr. Luke writes, there are no professional Christians. There are no apostles leading the charge. We're going to begin in Acts chapter number 8. And then we're quickly going to turn over to Acts chapter 11. And what's interesting about Acts chapter 8-1, it's kind of a reversal of Acts 1-8. Acts 1a says that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll become witnesses and we'll go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. But when you come to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the reversal of Acts 1.8, the Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. So they were happy to stay in Jerusalem. They were comfortable in Jerusalem. And so God allows persecution to get them uncomfortable so he could get them mobile. Look what it goes on to say. And it says, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions 
of Judea and Samaria. So it's like God says, if you're not going to do it on your own, I'll allow you to be uncomfortable to kickstart you into this mission towards Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the uttermost parts of the earth. But notice the little phrase at the end. Who were these people? It says, and they were all scattered except the apostles. Okay, like the big timers were still in Jerusalem. You know, the guy, the professionals, the guys with the blogs and stuff. And if you could, you could pick up that story. You know, Luke kind of goes on a rabbit trail through the Holy Spirit's inspiration. But if, if you stop the story there and then you turn to Acts chapter 11 and you picked up the narrative in verse number 19, it reads almost like, you know, together. So you see, they're scattered through Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, then pick up Acts eleven nineteen. Now they which were scattered, okay, see that? Same people. They were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So here they're, they're being scattered, but they still have that same philosophy they had in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Jews only philosophy. But notice what happens. And some of them, some of them, they don't get a title here. They don't have a team name. It's just them. And some of them, which or, or some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. They still don't have a name. It's just to them. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which is in Jerusalem. Okay, so now Jerusalem's hearing some stuff about them. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all. Still, we don't know who they are, they're just them, but he's exhorting them all. For, notice this, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then uh, departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they, okay, it's just they, assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Oh, now we come to something we've seen before. Now we see who these them are. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. When we first introduced to these people, they're not professionals. They're not the elite. They're not the, the, the special forces of the church. They're just them. But as we see what God does 
in their life, they are so identified. Verse 18, they're just they. Verse 20, they're them. They're they. Verse 21, they're them. Verse 23, they're them. But when we get to verse 26, we see now they have an identity, an identity that I think it kind of worked. It kind of stuck. And they're called Christians first in Antioch. I think this is the core of what it means to be a Christian. If you want to be a Christian, you should be like them. (laughs) Because they were the first ones who were called Christians. These people didn't have a title. They didn't have a book deal. They're just normal people. They're just them. And here this morning is my, you know, my thesis. You are them. We are them. It's not just the paid professionals. It's not just the elite group. Like you walked in here today and I'm sure you were like, you know, thinking it was about somebody else. But today is about you. I, I was thinking about this sign here and it says the call. And I, I, like, I wonder what church people always think when they see stuff like this. First of all, I always wonder if they think, oh, that's nice. It just appeared out of nowhere. You know, you know as a church staff member, you have to understand, like, I get triggered thinking about all the different, like, who did all this work? You know, uh, but then, then I think about how do they receive this, the call? Like, like is, this for, is this for the young lady going to Romania? Is this for Mike going to Sunshine? Is this, is this for the missionaries going overseas? I was telling Pastor Chris, I said, Pastor Chris, this thing tie down real strong? He said, it's, I think it's, it's stuck on there. I said, because I want to kick the C over and say, it's not just the call, it's for the all. It's for everybody. We are them. And so this morning, I want to give you four identifiers of them. T-H-E-M. Them. You ready? Might as well be because I'm going to give it to you anyway. T. They took God's mission personally. Verse number 20 just calls them some of them. But when we get to verse number 26, they have a personal relationship and identification with Jesus. How can I explain this? My wife is here in the front row. I always like to introduce my wife because people see her. They go, man, that guy must got something going on. I'm good, you know. If you followed me and my wife around for just a short period of time, wouldn't take long, you're going to find out in my house there are a lot of them. We got a lot of them all around our house. How would you find out there's a lot of them? Because you're going to find things. You're going to find evidence, clues. There are a bunch of them, a bunch of Kirklands. You're going to find Cheerios. You're going to find goldfish crackers and crayons and crayons on the wall. And you're going to, I mean, don't judge me, but you may even find a week old, you know, uh, leftover bowl of cereal underneath the bed. I don't, I don't know what you're going to find, but you will find evidence, what? That we have a bunch of them, that we have children. And because I have children, because of this evidence of all these kids that exist, my life is different. 
My time, the way I spend my time is different. My perspective, how I look at the world, my resources. I used to have a truck. I used to have a motorcycle. I used to be cool. But now I got them. I mean, the way I spend my energy, the way I spend my money. Come on, parents. Come on. It's different now. And if I could make a comparison as a follower of Jesus to be in relationship with Jesus, there should be obvious clues about that relationship. I mean, the way that we spend our time, our perspective of the world, our resources, our energy are all spent differently because I am a child of God. Knowing him means my life is been changed. And if I could say something so bold to say to for someone to proclaim that they walk closely with Jesus and not care about what he cares about is impossible. Don't, don't get me wrong. Now let me say that again. You fact checkers out there. To say you walk closely with Jesus, but then not care about what he cares about, is impossible. Nine, almost nine years ago, we moved to Cincinnati in December of 2012. And uh, we didn't have a church building, we didn't have a congregation, we didn't know anybody in the city. But we felt like God had called us to start a church, so we just start walking the streets and inviting people to this make-believe church that we were believing and trusting and hoping would happen. And I remember being in the heart of our city on Vine Street downtown and passing out flyers, and a gentleman got right in front of me, got right in my face, and he said, are you a pastor? I said, I am. And when he said that, the, like, the aroma of alcohol hit me. Just like all, all, I mean, just a fog of, of alcohol. And he said, okay, well, can you get me something to eat? Well, this is early on in our ministry, and we were fundraising. We barely had enough money for ourselves. So, like, I, I had to, like, vet, you know, qualified candidates. I love what they said. Like, we don't turn anybody away. I'm, I got to vet this thing at this point in my ministry, you know. So I had a little game I would play. And my game was this. Instead of giving them money, I would say, I'll take you to go get some food. And if magically they weren't as hungry as they sounded before, I've realized they maybe didn't need the food. They wanted just the money. So I used that game on him. I said, hey, I'll take you to go get some food. He's like, bet, let's go. I was like, oh, he called my bluff. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a Panera Bread right around the corner there. So we walked into the Panera Bread. I think, well, okay, I haven't had coffee. I'm going to get a cup of coffee. And so I get a cup of coffee and and I remember so vividly, he got a tuna fish sandwich because I was thinking, wow, just add the tuna fish right on top of the alcohol <laughs> breath. That just good combination. And so I'm trying to have a conversation with this gentleman. And it's becoming, you know, apparent to me while I'm having it. It's like, I'm wasting my time because he's so inebriated. He just can't even talk right. And then he asked to use my phone. And I said, sure, who are you trying to call? He said, I want to call my mom. I said, oh, where's mom live? He said, she lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, I said, is the area code 770? He said, it sure is. I said, okay, let me dial it for you. So I dialed the number, I hand the phone. Then it was just like as loud as I've ever heard anyone in, in, indoors. Mom! He just has this 
loud conversation for all of Panera Bread to hear. And now they're looking at me and I'm just, you know, cowering and shrinking into my table. He has this conversation. He says, Mom, did you send that money that I asked you for? I'm thinking, oh, no, no, I'm enabling. I'm enabling this bad behavior. He's hitting up his mom, this poor woman. The conversation goes on. And then he says something. He says, hold on, here he is. And he hands me the phone. I said, hello, this is Pastor Kirkland. And I will never forget the sweetest, most southern accent I have ever heard in my life. On the other end, said, Pastor, thank you for caring about my son. Something happened to me right then and there. And I realized it wasn't about numbers. It wasn't about dots on a map. That God had called me to the mission field of Cincinnati, Ohio to find lost sons and daughters. And it wasn't just a project. It wasn't just busy work for Jesus. Like, this is... These are people's daughters (laughs) and they're little boys. And she was thankful that somebody cared for him like she cared for him. And these people in Antioch touch the heart of God and they uh, uh, impact the community around them. Why? Because they cared about, they took personally what God took personally. They took God's mission personally. How are we going to do this? How do we translate this to a local church setting? Pastor, are you telling me I need to go to downtown Cincinnati, plant a church? I thought you said this wasn't for the elite professional Christian. No, no. You make it your own. You take it personally. I was preaching at a mission conference in Amelia, Ohio. After the conference, a woman came to me. She said, I'm going to tell you something that's not to make me look good. I just want to let you know how much the Lord has blessed this meeting. I want you to be encouraged by it. She said, uh, I was planning. I have a car that has 200,000 miles on it. I was planning to go next week to the car dealership, trade that in and get a new car. She said, but you know what? I felt like God spoke to me this week at Mission Conference. And she said, so I think God will help me keep that car on the road another year or two. And what I'm going to do, I believe this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to take what was going to be the new car payment and I'm going to give that to missions every single month. And as long as God keeps that car going for another year or two, then I'll just keep giving that to missions. Ladies and gentlemen, she took God's mission personally. And the call this morning is for you to take God's mission personally. T, they took God's mission personally. H, they had gospel conversations regularly. Look what verse 20 says. They spake to the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. They, they are talking about to, to people that other people wouldn't talk to, but they're going to now, now talk to these people about Jesus. There's a famous quote, beautiful quote that's attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I love that quote. It sounds good. I understand and agree with the sentiment. It's saying your lifestyle should be a billboard for the gospel, but I want to ask the question, is it complete? 
Because Romans 10 verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they uh, believe on him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? There's verse 17 says, so faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Like this, 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 this call and response. It's like we hear and then we tell. Andrew hears that Jesus is the Messiah and he goes and brings his brother Peter to Jesus. The woman at the well, she's, she is encountered with Jesus and she goes back to her town and says, see a man who told me everything that I ever, that I ever did. He must be the Christ. Jesus encounters a demon-possessed maniac, but he heals him. He's in his right mind. He's clothed. And Jesus says, go home to your friends and Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. There's this call and response to the, to the word of God working in our lives. And, and it is about doing good works. It is about our life showing it. But I want you to know, sometimes we just got to let it slip out our mouth too. Boy, I was driving home. It was late at night. This is, I was living in, I'm from Dayton, Ohio. I was living there. I'm at the corner of Main and Ridge. It's late, it's dark, there's a gas station right across the street from that intersection. Sketchy kind of neighborhood. I lived in it. <laughs> um, and I'm going to turn right onto Main to head to Fairview, turn left and, and go home. And as I'm going to turn right, I see an individual walking, kind of stumbling towards the gas station. And as I'm turning, you know, do you, do you like hear things on the inside? You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm not weird, right? I, I kind of hear, oh, you need to go tell that guy about Jesus. And a big part of the Christian life is like when you hear that thing on the inside, you're like, is that God or is that me? And I'm thinking it's late. This is sketchy. That must be me. <laughs> so I turn right. I literally turn right and head north on Main Street. And then I hear something else, not outwardly, inwardly. And it was like louder than outwardly. <laughs> and it was, don't say no. When I say go, I'm like, that, that, that may have been God. So I turn around. I pull up into this gas station, kind of like in front of this guy who's walking. I get out. He's kind of startled. And I'm like, sir, I don't know how to explain this to you. But I think God told me to come tell you about Jesus. His eyes got big as saucers. He kind of stumbled and, and fell back and sat down. And then he said these words. This must be some type of divine intervention. Now, I wish I had one of these awesome stories, Pastor Tony, to where I say, I led him to Jesus. I baptized him. He's a deacon now. He's actually preaching this morning. No, it, that, that's not what happened. That didn't happen that way. Actually, true story. Uh, I'm having, going to have this conversation and then a police officer pulls up. I'm going, oh no, I'm going to jail. He thinks I'm selling drugs. He asked the gentleman for his name, social security. The gentleman wouldn't give it to him. Before I know it, that guy's in the back of a police car heading downtown. But all I knew, the last thing he said was, this is some kind of divine intervention. Here, I want to say it this way to, to fellowship. Fellowship, someone else's salvation may be on the other side of your obedience. You got to let it out sometimes. They were 
talking about Jesus, even to people who they like, weren't allowed to talk to about Jesus. They were having these conversations regularly. They took God's mission personally. They, they had gospel conversations regularly. Then thirdly, they were empowered by the Spirit mightily. Look what the Bible says in verse 21. Am I preaching the lights out of this place? What's going on here? I didn't know I preached so good. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Verse 24, when you get Barnabas up in this group and he's impacted by them, the Bible says, verse 24, and he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. It's easy to see in the book of Acts, the single most identical characteristic of spirit fullness is what? Boldness. Paul says, and for me that the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We see here this spirit fullness is tied to their, their gospel proclamation. And these them, again, we're not talking about the profession. We're not talking about the apostles. Everybody with me now? These just normal people, the them, were, were spirit-filled. Now, some of them would have come from Jerusalem. Remember, they were scattered from Jerusalem. So some of them possibly would have been there on the day of Pentecost. But I don't believe they were all there. Not all of them. You know, they, they weren't all there on the day of Pentecost. What am I saying? I'm saying the Holy Spirit isn't just for the day of Pentecostals. <laughs> you know, all of us, upon salvation, we're indwelled by the Spirit of God. Paul said in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What is stopping us from sharing our faith? What is stopping us from stepping out for the call and answering what Jesus is calling us to do? Many times we're just so afraid. We're so fearful. We've lost hope. We're anxious. We're worried. And I want to know this morning, do, do, you, do you know what it means to have the power of the living God inside of you? I, I don't know if you saw this on social media. I don't know if it was played at church. But I, I told you I was coming to preach, trying to, you know, pump you up to come. And I told you I was going to tell you something new about what's happening in our ministry. I actually thought it was a, a scam when it happened. I got an email, and the, the gentleman on the email said, I would like to talk to you about becoming the chaplain for the Cincinnati Reds. I'm thinking, this is fake. Uh, long story short, it wasn't fake. And so for a year now, I have been working with professional ballplayers uh, and with the Cincinnati Reds and then those visiting teams that come and working with those ballplayers. And uh, it's been a, an, an amazing opportunity that came out of nowhere that I wasn't looking for. What's funny, though, is like, you know, you, you, you become a chaplain for the Reds and now suddenly you start getting invitations you weren't getting before. You know, my athletic ability has not changed whatsoever. My, my losing record in high school is still the same. But now I start getting invited to speak to teams. And, and uh, I was just, on Friday, I, was, uh, I spoke to Kings High School. They were 9-0. and I went and spoke to them. And they went and won the game, 10-0, and perfect season. They're going to playoffs. I know that was because of my speech, I'm sure. Um, but I, I guess I, I'm, I'm more acquainted now with, with being in a locker room giving a speech. I, you know, there is something. How, any athletes, sports buff, former athletes, you know, anybody out there? You know I mean, anybody, anybody alive? Okay, so there's something, and I'll say this twofold. There's something really special, the feeling that is being in a locker room of a winning team. 
I'll also say there's nothing more depressing than being in a locker room of a losing team. I don't know how you came in today. I don't know how you feel about what God's doing here in this church. I don't know what side you feel like you're on. Um, imagine, you, let's say for those of you who maybe feel like, oh, I don't know how things are going here. Imagine uh, you're in the locker room, you're playing, you're, you're playing a game, and you're getting whooped by the opponent. You're playing basketball. And uh, it's halftime, and your heads are down, and you're kind of defeated. And imagine the door opens to the locker room, and in walks six foot six, almost seven foot wingspan, number 23 from North Carolina, Michael Jordan, walks into the, the locker room. And your eyes, your mouth's wide open, your eyes are big, and you're like, Michael Jordan is coming to give us our halftime pep talk. But better than that, better than that. Imagine, imagine, Pastor Chris, Michael Jordan doesn't come just give us a talk at halftime. Imagine Michael Jordan says, is there any extra jerseys here? I'd like to suit up. Wow, it's, <laughs> it suddenly just got, I see more smiles in the room right now. Boy, the, the energy just came into the room. Michael Jordan, he's not just coming to give us the talk. He is suiting up. I, and I know this may be hard for you to use your imagination, but if you could imagine, use your imagination better than Michael Jordan suiting up, imagine Michael Jordan comes to you and he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all of my strength. I'm going to take all of my ability. I'm going to take my hops, my jumps, my glide, my tongue, all of that, all that power, all of that ability, all that talent, and I'm going to put it inside of you and you get to go play the game now. Ladies and gentlemen, God Almighty, the power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and lives inside of this church. I don't care what it is that he puts in front of you, whether it be in Columbus or Dublin or Romania, whatever it is, the mission he has, he will empower you to do great things for his name. Not the professionals, not the book titles, not the bloggers, but them. They were the ones who were filled by the spirit of God. I better shut up. <laughs> Them, they took God's mission personally. They had gospel conversations regularly. They were empowered by the Spirit mightily. And lastly, they motivated others relationally. Look what the Scripture says. Verse 22. And tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem. Word is spreading about these them. So Jerusalem's being stirred up. They're like, we're going to go check on what's going on down there. Verse 23 says, who when he came, talking about Barnabas, he seen the grace of God and was glad. Now Barnabas, who's coming to give this update, he's, he's getting infected by these them. Verse 26 People are looking at these them and they say, we're going to call them Christians. Look how their influence spreads. First, it starts with the Jews. Remember, they were speaking to the Jews only. Then it started out to the Greeks, the Gentiles. Then the Bible says a great number. Then the Bible says it hears from all the way the church in Jerusalem. Then Barnabas comes. Barnabas is so impacted. He says, I got to go get this Saul guy. He goes and gets Saul, brings Saul back. They spend a whole year there. 
And I don't know if you realize this or not. Maybe this is too, you know, too much preacher, preacher talk. I believe most of us, probably 99% of us, if not 100% of us, know Jesus today. Pastor Tony, am I saying this right? Because of them. You say, how could you say that? Is this not the sending church for Paul? Right? Paul and Barnabas, like, aren't they lay hands on, if, Acts 13? Don't they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and, like, send them out? And they start heading west towards the Mediterranean rim and, and finally, like, start his heading to Europe. Gets, we know at least it gets to Rome. And, and Paul had a mind to go to Spain. So, like, the gospel starts heading west, and then it, it affects Europe, doesn't it? <laughs> and, like, there's, there's still, like, churches and remnants and all this stuff that's still there. And then what happened? It went from Europe, and it went across the Atlantic Ocean. And it landed in our country. And, and I, I, you know, again, I don't want to speak here, you know, in a way, but I would imagine 99% of us got saved in America at a church here that was founded, but it was started in a movement in Antioch. You, you, know, how, you know how the missionary will write a, a letter and be like, oh, I'm, I'm here in Zimbabwe, and, and these people came to know Jesus, and because you gave, because, because you prayed, because you sent us out, they now know Jesus. If the church of Antioch was still in existence today, somebody would be writing and say, you know that fellowship? They're here today because of you guys. Those people who got saved, you guys, because you sent Paul and Barnabas out. Now they're here. We are here because of them. <laughs> and even if you don't identify with that, you're like, my story goes somewhere else. Then think about the person who led you to Jesus. If you haven't been led to Jesus, you don't know what that means. Today's going to be the best day for that to happen. But those of you who do know Jesus, who was that person who told you about Jesus? Can you think about them right now? Here's what I'm saying. Go be them for somebody else. You go be them for someone else. These them. You didn't even know who I was talking about. When I said, turn to Acts chapter number 11, we're going to talk about them. You're like, who's these people? Boy, when I read verse number 26, uh-oh. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. The them at Antioch were so aligned to the pursuit and mission of Jesus that the surrounding communities started calling them. Let me translate it. Let me see if this is a good translation. Jesus Jr. You bunch of little Jesuses. You little Jesuses. You, you, look, you remind me so much of Jesus, you little Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that a good translation of Christian? Did you guys get the point? It wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the apostles. I know the apostles were like Jesus. We perceive that these men are, have been with Jesus. I, I get that. But these are just the normal, just the normal people who got, had to leave and get up and go because they were being persecuted and, and they didn't take their time of persecution and feel like God had sent them on a shelf. They did use it as an opportunity to leverage towards the gospel. And they were empowered by the Spirit and what they did impacted that area so much that people said... 
you look like your big brother Jesus. I'm going to call you Christian. And I guess it stuck. A billion people in this world would identify by that same name. And if we're going to be like them, we're going to have to do what they did. Let me give you a last story. I got to give you a baseball story, right? That's like necessary. We had one of our guys come up from the minor leagues to the majors, which is a big deal. It's always a big celebration. And it was cool to see because this guy had been in chapel in the minors and then he came his first Sunday at the majors. He was at chapel. I'm like, oh, I like that. He's humble. What got him here, he hadn't changed. He hadn't come big time now. He still come to chapel. He pinched hint the night before, didn't get anything. And he went out on that Sunday game, got out in the lineup, first pitch, turned that bat. Not only did he get his first major league hit in that moment, he actually hit a home run. First major league hit was a home run. It was awesome. Ball soared out in the right field. Guy caught it. They celebrated. He went around the bases, came back to the dugout, kind of lifted up his hat. Everybody cheered. It was an amazing moment. First hit coming up from the, from the minors, big lead, and you get a home run. Something happened. They were playing the Dodgers. If you're a Dodgers fan, I'm praying for you this morning. They are playing the Dodgers. Outfielder from the Dodgers, turned around to the crowd, looked at the guy who caught the ball and said, give that to me. Guy looked at the ball, looked at the outfielder, looked at the ball, threw it back to the opposing team. That outfielder took the ball, looked at it, threw it over towards the home team dugout. Security guard grabbed it, they got it, had somebody who had a documentation, they documented it, threw it back to the player who had just hit that home run. What a piece of memorabilia. Your first hit is a home run, and there you've got the ball. It was an amazing moment. And then that outfielder went to his dugout. On the next inning, he came back out, and he had his bat that he had just used. He signed his name. His name is Mookie Betts. He signed that bat, and he came up to the guy with the stance, and he gave him that signed bat. And underneath that signature, I saw on Twitter later, he had wrote the reference, Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Mookie was a little Jesus right there, wasn't he? He little Jesus. And if I can paint the picture, I think that's like Fellowship Baptist Church right now. I, th I think, I think we're out here in this great cloud of witnesses. We're, we're, we're observing all God is doing. The Spirit of God is doing amazing things. And boy, there's some things He's put into our hands. Valuable, treasured things. And God, the Holy Spirit is in the outfield saying, give that to me. Give it to me. And I know in that moment when He says, give it to me, you're like, what? I want it. you listen to the call of the Holy Spirit and you, you give it back. You throw it in a plate. You, you fill out a card. You, you go on a Whatever it is, you do that thing. You throw it back, right? And one day, one day, 
we will stand before Jesus and Jesus will come back with something greater. Jesus will have a reward for us. He'll look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, enter into my, enter into the joys. Come on, enter into the presence. Come on, well done. And in that moment, all those little trinkets and all those little memories, all that stuff that you gave will be meaningless in the joy of the Lord and the presence of God when you hear Jesus say, well done. And it will be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. So what is he asking you to throw back? Come on, what is he asking you to throw into this plate or throw into this basket? Or, or what is he asking you to sign up? The young lady says, I, he's asking me to, to go to Romania. Mike, they're, they're, they're going to the, the, the mission. Hey, we're, gonna, we're even going to take some people, send them to Dublin, Ohio. Hallelujah, right? They're answering the call. They're giving it back to him. Come on, can the them, can, the, can we get involved? Do we have a place? Is God calling us to get Because remember, the call is really for us all. We are them. 